Amen. Today we start a new teaching series in the book of Romans, chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll be reading the first four verses in a few minutes. I love the book of Romans. If you've studied it in the past and you know it's just an incredible book, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, and what it is, it's actually a letter written by the Apostle to the church in Rome. He wrote it around the year 57 AD or so when he was planting churches in modern-day Greece in a city called Corinth. From there, he wrote to a fellow faith family that was in Rome. Now, we don't know exactly who planted that church. It's unknown to us. The scriptures don't reveal. There's different possibilities. But what we do know is that the book of Romans is a powerful book that describes how the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Spain. He had this passion to go and carry the gospel to a land where it was not proclaimed yet. Most like today, we heard from missions partner Moses, who wants to go and plant churches in the unreached villages in Andhra Pradesh. Well, the Apostle Paul wanted to go to the church in Rome to go meet them, and then to use them as a missions partner, to then be able to use that place as a base of operations, to then go to Spain and to plant churches, preach the gospel there. And so as a good shepherd, as a pastor, the Apostle Paul wanted to ensure that this church in Rome, again, he had not met them, so he writes them this letter to encourage them and to teach them about having a healthy church where they have unity, where Jews and Greeks can come together from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages, and they can be in the same church and have unity because of the same gospel that has saved them to the same spirit that indwells them, the same father whom they call father. And so he's teaching them the gospel. And he's teaching in the book of Romans how by focusing on the gospel, then that will lead to individually healthy people and to a healthy church. And so in order for that to happen, they had to know and to proclaim the gospel itself. And so the Holy Spirit inspired this amazing man, Paul, to write the book that we now call the book of Romans. And so the aim, the the purpose of this proclamation, of this preaching of the gospel, is indeed the very glory of God. And you see that in the very opening sentences of Romans. You see in chapter 1, verse 5, he says that Paul writes this, that he proclaims the gospel, he says, in order to bring about obedience and faith for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ among all nations. And so he proclaims the good news so that there's obedience, so that there's faith, and for the sake, here's the key, for the sake of the name of Jesus among all nations, that all people will know and value and treasure Jesus himself. And how does that happen? How do people love Jesus? How are they just thrilled by Him and enthralled by Him and see more value in Jesus than anything else? It happens when they hear the gospel and the Spirit of God then does a work in their hearts and they respond with faith and repentance. And I love this book. Now, we're not going through the whole book. That would take us now maybe someday. But today... We started a series in Romans chapter 8, so we'll be in just this one chapter for the next couple of months. So we'll look at eight particular, eight specific sermons in this series on this one book, Romans, this one chapter, rather, Romans chapter 8. Now, as I was praying about this months ago on, 
what our faith family needs and, and what can I, as, as a shepherd who wants to just please the chief shepherd, what, what can I share with our faith family from God's word? And I just felt this chapter just jumped out and I felt impressed to share this with you. And I love this chapter primarily because what it does is it describes what it looks like to follow Jesus. So if you want to have a good idea, a summary what the Christian life is and what it looks like to really follow Jesus. It's in Romans chapter 8. And so when we're talking about following Jesus when you have great successes in your life and great victories in your life and also when you have great defeats and failures. When and you're walking after Jesus, sometimes it's exhilarating and it's exciting and sometimes it's quite mundane. And everything in between, what, is, what does it look like to follow him? It's all captured in this one chapter that summarizes the Christian life because it begins in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, there is now therefore no condemnation. And so those who have Jesus following him have no condemnation. But then, verse 39, he completes the chapter and he says, for nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so our Christian life following Jesus begins with the gospel. And when our life on earth ends, it ends with the culmination of the gospel, which is an eternity of enjoying Jesus with nothing that could ever separate us from his love. So beginning to end, everything is about the gospel. But in between this, when you come to faith in Christ and when your life on this earth ends and you go to eternity, in between there's this thing called Life, and you have to live it every day. The life of faith, of following Jesus. You've received him. You're not in heaven yet. In between, what do you have to do? Follow him. And how do you do that? What has to happen in between those realities? Well, God calls us to live a gospel-centered life. He calls us to do that, to live a life that is squarely centered on Jesus, and the way that we know him is through this message, this good news of the gospel that he's revealed to us. And Romans 8 is all about that. And so this new series is called Focused. And so we want to live lives that are truly focused on the gospel, which allows us to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about being focused, a gospel Centered life. And so today, first message in this series is we ask the question, well, what is it? What does it look like? What is a gospel-centered life? And I'll give you a definition that we'll unpack for the next couple of months. But a, a definition here is that a gospel-centered life is one in which everything that a person thinks and that a person speaks and does, so everything that a person thinks, speaks, and does is radically transformed by the grace of God as seen through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And so a gospel-centered life is one where everything that you think, say, and do is radically transformed by Jesus and specifically his work on the cross. And so we, like it or not, the truth is, and we know this if you're a follower of Jesus, that we're all sinners. And we are sinners both by nature and by choice, we freely choose to sin. And we deserve nothing good from God. We don't. 
deserve anything from him except judgment. And yet, he chooses to love. He chooses to show mercy. And so Jesus came as a human, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sins and for mine, was resurrected, is alive today, and because it's been paid, he offers us forgiveness if we will repent and believe in him. This simply is the gospel. And the key here is that whatever it is that you're focused on will dictate the direction of your life. So whatever you're focused on will dictate the direction of your life. And so if we focus on that, it will dictate what our lives look like. And so let's begin studying Romans 8 by reading in verses 1 through 4. And here's what the Spirit of God inspired Apostle Paul to write. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Let me give you the main idea, what this is all about. The main idea of this text is God's purpose for His people is accomplished through the gospel. Quite simple. That's what this is about. Is that God's purpose for His people is accomplished through the gospel. That's what it is. And God's purpose, as we talked about earlier, for the sake of His name, everything that God does for the sake of His glory, everything that He does is for the praise of His glorious name so that He can be recognized for being valuable as being all-powerful and sovereign and wise and beautiful. And so everything that He does is for that end, that He would be glorified. And so do you want to live a life that displays God's glory? And that is the honest question that I want you to really ponder. Do you want to live a life where you are like a mirror that is reflecting the glory of God, or are you not that interested and you're here because someone brought you today, you don't really care that much, and if that's where you're at, we still love you, we're glad you're here. We hope that as you spend more time hearing God's word and and then eventually believing that you will have this desire and that you will want to live a life that pleases God, that reflects His beauty and His glory, because those of us that know Christ, that's what our hearts want the most. That's what we struggle for. We want this in our lives. So if you want to live a life that bears good fruit for Jesus, a life of victory, a life of displaying His glory, if you want that, then we have to focus on the gospel of Christ, which allows us to be close to the Master. To Jesus. And so there are two particular gospel truths in this text that we'll look at, two of them. The first one is, based upon the gospel, you have number one, justification. That's a big word, but it's in here. And so the first truth that we must focus on is the fact that because of the gospel, we have justification. Why do I say that? Where is that in the text? Well, in verse 1, we just read it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, now the phrase, there is therefore, connected to the previous context in the book. In chapter 5, he begins in verse 1, says that we have been justified by faith. And then in chapter 6, because of this justification described in chapter 5, we now have new life, which baptism is a picture of. Which is why we baptize believers by immersion here in our church. Because baptism is a picture of this new life that we have. You were once dead, now you're resurrected. You're alive because you've been justified. And chapter 7 describes that even though we have this justification, we have this new life, we're still human, we're still on this sinful earth, we're not yet glorified, we're not in heaven yet, and so therefore the life of faith continues and we still struggle with sin. That's described in chapter 7. And then in light of our ongoing struggle to be more like Christ in chapter 7, chapter 8 breaks out with this amazing verse 1. Yes, we struggle. Yes, it's hard sometimes. And yet there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. It's breaking out in song. Like this is a chorus. Like, this is amazing. There's now no condemnation. Yes, life can be challenging, and sometimes we struggle. Sometimes, every day we struggle. And yet, there's no condemnation. Now, the, the verse, chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, now we are justified, and here he says, no condemnation, had the exact same meaning. Because the word justification is actually a legal word, borrowed from the courts. And it means the opposite of condemnation. And so to condemn someone is to declare them guilty. The verdict is guilty. That's to be condemned. To be justified means the opposite. To be declared not guilty. To be declared innocent or righteous. And so therefore, when Paul says there is no condemnation, he means there is now justification. And so those who are in Christ have the hope that we will not be condemned because we are declared righteous by a holy God. But the question is, but how? How is that even possible? How can a holy God who is just declare guilty sinners innocent? We're guilty. So how can we declare innocent? Verses 2 and 3 describe it beautifully. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. First half of verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. This is really fascinating if you look at this. Because the word law is actually used twice here. First it says the law of the spirit of life. And then he says the law of sin and death. And so why is it that God's law here is associated with, it says life, and then it says death? Well, I want you to go rewind in your mind Most of you have been here the last few months. We've been going through the book of Exodus. I want to remind you of what we've been looking at there because this matters. Because remember, Exodus and Romans are connected. Because this incredible book inspired by God is one story, one unit. And this one book is about the story of God's redemption through His Messiah for His glory to be displayed. And so everything from Genesis to Revelation is about redemption. And so what we see in Exodus connects to Romans. It's all about Christ saving us from our sin for His glory as His people. And so remember when people got the law. Just think back to this in Exodus. 
Remember when they received the law. They had been liberated from captivity in slavery. And then God gives them the law because he wants to love them and be in a relationship with them. They've experienced his grace, his mercy, as endless as the sea, like we sung. And so he is merciful to them. He saves them and says, I want you to be mine. Let's enter into a relationship. And then he defines the relationship with, with the law. And so the law, what was the law about? One, well, it showed God's holy character. And so what was God's purpose in the law? To reveal his holy character, his standard, the requirements to be in a relationship with him. If you want to be with me, you have to be perfectly holy. But the law number two also revealed human sinfulness. It exposed our sinfulness. That's exactly what it is. You know, whenever parents tell their kids, don't do something, what's the first thing they want to do? They want to do it. And so, like, as a parent, you want to sometimes not even address it. Because if you tell them, don't touch the stove, then they, that's the first thing they want to go touch. It's like, if you have grass, which we don't have in Abu Dhabi, but theoretically, if you had grass and you want no one to walk on it, and, and you put a sign that says, don't walk on the grass, what is the First thing that you want to go do now. I want to go walk on the grass because I was just told not to. So the best thing is you can put walk on the grass and people will think, oh, well, now I don't want to anymore because it tells me to. It just reveals our hearts and the law exposes our hearts. It shows us that we are bent to be selfish and quite honestly evil and rebel against authority. We all do it, not just kids. Every one of us does this. And so the law shows God's holiness, the requirements, and then secondly, it shows that we fall short. We stand naked, exposed as the sinners, shamed, guilty, condemned that we are. God is holy, utterly, absolutely, stunningly holy. And so God gave them the sacrifices, the sacrificial system. Again, this is back in Exodus. He gives them, he gives them the, the priests. And every day, people saw the blood. Every day, they were reminded, I'm a sinner. And, and these animals are being killed in my place. They're being sacrificed because I'm a sinner. And so they represented the sinful people. So they had this daily reminder of how they were guilty. Now, the law was good. That wasn't the problem. The problem is the human heart. That is sinful. And so when you read here that our problem is our sin, any attempts for us to somehow reach God's favor by doing enough, by being good, by being religious, any attempts of that are hopeless. We're absolutely hopeless. And yet we can try. And we can somehow deceive ourselves into thinking that if we pray enough, go to church enough, put enough money in the offering bag, do enough good, share the gospel enough, that somehow that will earn us enough credits and God is more pleased when we do good things. And it is just not true. It's all about God's mercy. Because you see it here in verse 2. It says, For the law of spirit has set you free from freedom from slavery in Christ Jesus from the law of of sin and death. And so because of the law, it exposes our sin and we are condemned to death. 
but there's this law of the spirit of life that has liberated us in Christ. So there's this law, there's this principle, there's this decree that before the world was even created, that our God had a plan that He would liberate, free His people from sin through the Spirit. And so we have been set free. So God made a way through a Redeemer who would pay the price and who was faithful to keep the law. And you see that in verses 3 through 4. For God has done, not us, not what we've done. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. To God be the glory that He made a way. Like I read this and I want to sing. And I sing terribly. Which is why I don't ever lead in singing because I'm, I'm horrible at it. But I read this and my heart is just so gripped that the glory of God is revealed that Jesus of Nazareth came and he fulfilled the requirements of the law that are righteous, complete holiness. He fulfilled it for me. What I could not do because it says that I'm weak. I'm so weak and so in need of mercy. You know, I think it's just fascinating how we can sometimes think that pastors don't have the same struggles that you have. Here's, here's a news flash in case you aren't aware. I have the same struggles that you have. I am as much a sinner as you are. And I need the body of Christ as much as you do. I need this gospel as much as you do. I need the loving, correcting, encouraging body of Christ as much as you do. I need you in my life. And I love this faith family. And I love that we're indeed a family. And we need each other. We need this gospel. I need it preached to me. And you need it preached to you and to each other. We, we live only because of God's mercy. And when we forget, when we even just subtly forget how much mercy we need, our lives get messed up. We mess it up when we lose focus on this. Every day, we have to draw near to the heart of God and remember just how in need of His mercy we are. We are a needy people. God did what we could not do. The law cannot justify you because you're not good enough. But Jesus is. He fulfilled it for you. You know what this is kind of like for me? You know, this is more guys, but girls just as bad, I'm sure. But as a guy, I'll speak this. is A lot of times I can have a problem. You know, I, I could have a pain or something, like maybe I'm sick, and I don't want to go to the doctor. And you're the same way. I know it's not just me. Where you don't want to go to the doctor. Why? Because you don't want to hear bad news. You don't want to go to the doctor because then he's going to poke you and prod you and say, oh, your cholesterol is a little bit high there or your blood pressure and you need to work out more and you need to change your diet. It's like, ah, I don't want, ah, la, 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 la. Like, you don't want to hear that, right? And so what do you do? You just ignore it. No, 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 I'm fine. I'm not sick. My, my cholesterol is just fine. No, you, you know it's not. You know it's not. 
you know there's a problem. That pain is not going away. And you try to convince yourself and give yourself every reason to believe, no, I'm fine. I'm healthy. And you're lying to yourself. You're not healthy. There really is a lump. It really is there. You should go get it checked out. There really is a problem. That pain, the pain's not going away. It's been weeks now. Go see the doctor. Even if there's bad news, it's better to hear the bad news than keep ignoring it and it's going to lead to death. And we can ignore the problems in our life when the reality is that there is mercy available to us. And we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to run from God or hide from him because Jesus paid it all. And you have a glorious hope in Christ because you have been declared justified. Just as if you had not sinned. You are declared innocent. There is now no condemnation because Christ paid it. And we can be afraid to look in the mirror. We can be afraid to hear the truth from our wife or a friend, but we need the body of Christ to remind us, to keep us focused on this gospel truth that we have been justified. God approves of you. He approves of you and you and you and you. And if you believe in Jesus, he approves of you too. He approves. He loves you. Not because you're worth it. Because we're not. He approves because Jesus paid it all. And he loves you because he loves you. Because that's who he is. And Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, not in sinful flesh, in the likeness as a human, fully human, without sin, to pay the price. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you must contemplate every day, focus on this truth, because Satan's going to attack you. But you, you, you remind Satan that, yes, I have my issues, but you know what? My shame and my guilt has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more because Jesus endeared it for me. And this, this is the ammunition that we need to fight against this, the evil one's attacks. Remember that you are justified because Jesus did it. So we focus on this gospel truth of being justified. And when you are tempted to doubt God's love for you, focus on the gospel. But there's a second truth revealed in here, a second gospel truth, and that's in verse 4, second half of the verse. We have been justified in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, here's the key, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We walk according to the to the spirit, not to flesh. The second truth here is sanctification. The second gospel truth we must think about is sanctification. So we have been declared righteous, we've been justified, and now we're in the process of being sanctified, of not walking according to the flesh, but walking according to the spirit. We don't live to gratify our self-focused, selfish desires. We live empowered by the spirit to gratify Jesus. 
to please him. The word sanctify means to make holy. That's what it means. And so sanctification, big word, all it means is the ongoing process of being made more holy, of growing to have the character of Christ, of having our thoughts, our words, and our actions be more obedient to Jesus. And this is all possible because of the Spirit, that we walk in the Spirit. And so the same Spirit of God that breathed life into the first human Adam is the same Spirit of God that has breathed life into your dead soul and has resurrected it so that you're alive on the inside and you know God and you desire to please Him. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't resurrect you spiritually and then leave you alone to go follow Jesus. Okay, I did my part. Now you're a believer. Now you're declared justified. Now go figure it out yourself. No, God doesn't roll like that. That's not what God does. He gives you His Spirit who indwells you, and then He helps you. He empowers you to continue following Jesus in this ongoing process called sanctification, where you are having the Spirit complete the work that He began when He declared you justified. And so when people talk about Christianity as though, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm British. Yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. Yeah, I'm a Christian because it's a cultural or a casual thing. Look, that is not Christianity. It's not. Because according to the Scriptures, when when people get just a glimpse of the glory of God, our hearts are transformed. There's this absolute change that happens because the Spirit of God comes inside of us. And so non-transformation, non-sanctification is not true Christianity. Now, maybe it's a religion, but it's not following Jesus because a disciple is a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. So a disciple does, number one, he knows the master. A disciple has to know the master. That's what he does. And then, number two, a disciple learns to be like the master. And then number three, he goes and gets more followers for the master. That's what, that's what disciple is. And so if you know Jesus, then you are learning to be like him, and it results in having others come follow the master along with you. And so we glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's what we do as a church. This is what we're about. This is our mission. And so anything less than following Jesus like that is not what the Scriptures reveal Christianity is. That's what we're about, is the gospel transforming us. So the gospel is a supernatural work of God. It's divine, where he transforms idol worshipers into truly white-hot worshipers who have a passion for Jesus, and it is glorious. Which is why we read earlier in Jeremiah 31, in the worship gathering, we read out of that passage, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Now, that was a promise, by the way, that's actually quite old. It was six centuries before Jesus was born. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of this future day where God would write his law on their hearts 
and everyone would know the Lord. Everyone in here that's part of the new covenant, if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? You know the Lord. You are following Jesus. He is your God, and His Spirit is inside of you, and it's written on your heart. And so we have been set free in Christ. So do you want to please Him? As we close this morning, I honestly ask that question. Do you want to please Jesus? If you do, you must live a gospel-centered life because the gospel is the gateway to Jesus. You must every day intentionally focus on this gospel. Remember that you have been justified and you are every day yielding to the Spirit as He does His work of sanctifying you. So if you want to bear good fruit for Jesus, You must abide in him. You must continue in him and commune with the living Christ. As we internalize this, as we truly internalize this gospel, you know what's going to happen? I'm serious. If you will internalize this, your heart is going to burst alive with spiritual fruit. If If you're not seeing much fruit, if you're not seeing much love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness and self-control, if you're not seeing any of that kind of fruit burst alive from the inside, then it's, it's evidence that you have not been abiding, continuing, remaining, communing with Christ. You're trying to do it in your own power, and you can't. As we continually marvel, just be in absolute awe of this mercy of what God has done for us, what he has done for you in Christ, what will happen is you will find your heart changed. And you will have a passion that will come from the inside and come out. And you will have this passion where you will begin to instinctively, you know, intuitively, very naturally, you will begin to mirror the gospel. You will begin to mirror in your life grace for others and love for others and mercy for for others, in obedience to Jesus. And so, young person, because I know we have high schoolers in the room right now, if, if you are not obeying your parents, if it's just hard, because you know what? Parents are also sinful. Parents don't always get it right. But you're still called to obey them and to honor them. And so if obedience is difficult, then I can assure you that the problem is that you are not abiding in Jesus. And so, therefore, you are not seeing the fruits that you would desire. And so, when we abide in Christ, internalize this gospel, what's going to happen is we'll live gospel-centered lives. We will begin to reflect this gospel of grace in our daily life. So, this doesn't happen by moving past the gospel, but by going deeper in it and every day meditating, focusing praying, reading the word, and internalizing these truths of being justified and being now sanctified. This isn't going to sound crazy, but the reality is that whatever your problems are, whatever your issues are, whatever you're struggling with, whether it's depression, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, disobedience, lack of trusting God, whatever it is that you are struggling with or, or finding your, your heart just gravitating to things that you know aren't wise, that aren't 
good, whatever you're struggling with, there is one solution, and that one answer is the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. That is the only solution, not medication, not psychotherapy, and I'm not against that in itself, but if you're trying to find help and you're not going to the only source, which is Jesus, as revealed through his gospel, it's a losing battle. It's a losing battle. You can't. Because you're going against the God revealed. There's an answer. His name is Jesus. We turn to him. We repent and we believe and we destroy our idols and we make him our one true God. The final answer for our problems is the gospel of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about things like prayer and meditating and praying, we use the word sometimes spiritual disciplines, which is good, and we should be doing that every day, drawing near to the heart of God. But see, here's the thing. Things like prayer and meditating, these disciplines, they're like wires, okay? And so a wire doesn't have power in itself, but what a wire does is it connects to the power source. So there's a power source. You take the, all these cables that are here. They're all connected. I know, like I'm stepping on them. You know, it's crazy. So these wires are all connected to the power source. There's no power in the wire. The power comes from the grid, right? Electricity. And so, but you have to tap into it. And so when you do things like pray, read the word, and meditate, abide in Jesus, those are the wires. Prayer is a wire. Reading God's word is a wire that connects you into the power source of Jesus. It's through his gospel. And so we have to be connected to the power of God for salvation, which is what? What is the power of God for salvation? The gospel. Not just your justification, but your ongoing daily sanctification. That is the power And so why must you read the Bible and pray and meditate every day? Why? Because it brings you closer to Jesus. It connects you to him. And so a devotional life connects you to the power source. Prayer and reading the word are gateways to the gospel. We must focus on this gospel of being justified of being sanctified as we await that day when we will be glorified and we will never be separate from the love of God, as we'll see in a few weeks when we get to the conclusion of this amazing chapter. So in order for you to live a life of significance where it's gospel-centered, where you are truly living for him, you must focus on these truths, focus on the gospel and have a truly gospel-centered life. If you're not a believer in Jesus, then I can tell you that you are not justified. If you have never repented of your sins, say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you, and I know that I deserve condemnation. If you have never been honest with God about your condition as a sinner and repented, put your complete trust in Jesus alone. If you have not done that, then what we saw in verse 1, this glorious chorus of there is now no condemnation, But for who? For those that are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, then you can't say that. You are not justified. 
and you won't have the power of the Spirit to transform you. You're left to self-help. You're left to your own devices to figure it out, and it won't get you very far. But if you will turn to Jesus, whether for the first time today or whether you are a believer and you come running afresh back to him today, what you're going to get is joy. That's what you get. That's what we have. We enjoy Jesus. And if you're not having joy in your heart, then the solution is the gospel for the thousandth time or for the first time today. That's our heart. That's our church's desire that all of us will pursue Christ and do this together. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we are overjoyed at at the knowing that you love us and you revealed that love by having your son die on the cross for us, fulfill the righteous requirements of the law for us. And now we can cry out with praise and gratitude that we have no condemnation. But Father, we desire to pursue you. We desire to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, and to continue on in our sanctification and being made more like your son. So I pray that you would give us the courage to be honest about our spiritual condition. Give us the courage and the grace that we need to be honest with you, with ourselves, and with others, and to pursue you wholeheartedly. Father, I thank you for our faith family. I thank you for the joy of following you together. And I pray for anyone in this room that has never believed this gospel, this good news of your salvation, that you would convict him or her and that they would repent even now and put their complete trust in you alone to save them. Thank you for hearing us and allowing us to do this as a faith family. And we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.